What's happening, weirdos? This is the incredible Chris Parnell, who I got to work with when we were making uh, Home Sweet Home Alone for the old Disney Plus. And we had such a fun time. Uh, I've been bothering him ever since to do the podcast, and I'm so happy that he finally came by. This is actually also the last audio-only podcast uh, that we're going to do. There may be some We Made It Weirds on Friday that will be audio-only until we uh, fully make the transition. But if you are not subscribed to my YouTube, which is just Pete Holmes, I'm pretty sure, uh, please do so because we are going to start releasing these as video as well as audio, which I'm really excited for you guys to see uh, just how uh, dirty the couch is <laughs> that we record on. It is not, it's not very clean. Val, uh, Val wants me to maybe uh, steam it or something. But we haven't yet. And we've been having some really great guests. Great guests are coming up, and they will be right here as you enjoy it. But if you're if you're curious, uh, you can also watch Curious. If you're interested, you can also see it on YouTube, which I'm excited. It's been so fun. We've been doing them, and it's so fun. But for now, Chris Parnell, what a delight. What a gentleman. Uh, let's get to it. He's so great. Just a few things to plug up top. My next stand-up date, my only stand-up date, Right now is at Largo here in Los Angeles. It's going to be on June 11th. Uh, the last one was so incredible. The crowd was so great. Um, and this next one is going to be no exception. As I always say, but I always mean it, it is always the highlight of both Val and I's month. And it means so much when weirdos are there. It's always a better show when weirdos are there. So hopefully you can be there. Go to Largo dash la.com for tickets. And we have a couple wonderful sponsors. And these are two products that I absolutely, absolutely swear by that have for real, for real, I'm saying everything twice, have changed my life. The first of which is Magic Mind. I've men- I think I mentioned it to Chris on this episode. I said, do you want a Magic Mind? Because I always drink a Magic Mind about 15 minutes before I do this podcast and before I do almost anything that requires that flow state, that high productivity, super dialed in flow state that is not jacked up on caffeine. It only has about 35 uh, milligrams, micrograms, uh, whatever, MG of caffeine. So it's not a high caffeine drink. It's not an energy drink. It is a productivity drink. In fact, it is the world's first productivity drink. It's a tiny little shot. Keep it in the fridge. Magical elixir that makes you focus better on your work, be more creative, and drink less coffee. I didn't realize I was drinking too much coffee until I noticed that my hands were clenching and my jaw was tight. Now I have the beautiful benefits of matcha, but Magic Mind has nootropics that help you focus and adaptogens that help you fight off stress. That is just some of the 12 functional ingredients. So you take it in the morning with your caffeine, and it's those adaptogens that help you balance out and round out the edges of the caffeine you're already enjoying, but also the matcha and the nootropics help you get into that sharp mind, steady energy, not to mention immune support and less stress. I am all about adaptogens and I get them in my magic mind. You get 30% more stuff done on average, five to seven hours of flow state of 30% more productivity after drinking. It's like, uh, you know, athletes have Gatorade. Now creators have, ready for it, Creatorade. Don't expect wired. It's not like a jittery, wired, tight feeling. Expect dialed in. It is the creator's best friend, helps fight off procrastination, brain fog, 
fatigue, even some ADD symptoms. And after three to seven days of continuous use, it's even easier. I can attest to that. It builds and gets better and better, easier to get into that flow state. And with their money-back guarantee, any first purchase will be refunded. No questions asked if it doesn't meet your the uh, do you guys, if it doesn't meet your expectations. I absolutely swear by it. And I have a, and so does Val. I have a special offer for our listeners from our friends at Magic Mind. All you have to do is go to www.magicmind.co slash weird and use our discount code at checkout weird to get a limited 20% off your first order. That's magicmind.co slash weird and use discount code weird at checkout for 20% off and get yourself some creator aid. Get yourself the world's first productivity drink. I absolutely love it. I absolutely swear by it. Also, speaking of swear by it, I'm wearing it right now, is my Apollo Neuro. You guys have heard both Val and I talk about our Apollo Neuros. It is the thing we've gifted more than any other thing. I can say that with confidence. We've given it to our creative friends, parents. We've even given it to a few children that were having some stress issues because an Apollo Neuro is like a wearable hug. Uh, it's it's a wearable piece of technology. I wear it on my wrist. It looks like a watch, but I wear it on the inside that sends uh, vibrations into your nervous system that are interpreted by your nervous system as touch. It is touch therapy to help you feel safe and in control, and it mimics the movement of deep, relaxing breath and just tells your body, hey, it's okay. But it's not just for relaxing. These gentle, soothing vibrations actually train your nervous system to recover and rebalance after stress, but it can also wake you up. There's a setting called energy and wake up. You control this through your phone. There's social and open, which is usually the setting I use for stand-up and this podcast. Clear and focused, which really helps you get into that state where you can really dig into a book or a project or your work. I also use that sometimes when I'm doing stand-up as well. Rebuild and recover. Val and I always joke that's the setting we use after a stressful dinner with our parents or whoever it may be. If you're just juggling a lot of balls and you're just feeling stress, throw it on rebuild and recover. Meditation and mindfulness is a subtle setting as well, but it helps you go deeper deeper than I have in my meditation practice in years. I always say this, but if all this thing did was help me meditate the way that it helps me meditate, I would be shouting its name from the rooftops. But that's not the only thing it does. Wake up, be social, be open, be focused, rebuild and recover after a workout, help you meditate, help you just be mindful. Even with your eyes open, I'll put it on meditation and mindfulness, and it helps me ease in and just feel a little bit more zen. Relax and unwind is what we put it on at night when we're reading or watching TV. It's a wonderful pre-bed ritual that just helps your body sink in and ease into that sleep state. And when I'm sleeping, I literally have it running on sleep and renew. My favorite thing about that, not only does it help me fall asleep and stay asleep and sleep more deeply, if I wake up, and I often do because we have a four-year-old, well, she's almost four, three and a half-year-old, if I have to get up and help Lee in the middle of the night, and I go back to bed. Sometimes my heart's a little jacked. I press the two buttons on the Apollo. It reruns the last program 
and boom, I am back asleep way more easily than I would be without it. The Apollo Neuro actually trains your nervous system to cope with stress better over time, meaning the more you use it, the better it works. It's not woo-woo. This is not a mood ring or a crystal. This was developed by a neuroscientist and a board-certified psychiatrist who have been studying the impacts of chronic stress in humans for nearly 15 years, and Apollo's effects on stress, sleep, cognitive performance, and recovery have been proven in multiple clinical trials and real-world studies. There's even more data coming out about the clear and focused settings specifically to help people like me who kind of have a mind that uh, darts all over the place, how much it can help that. It's literally changed our lives and you can get 10% off and show your support of this podcast, which means so much by going to apolloneuro.com slash weird. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-N-E-U-R-O.com slash weird for 10% off and show your support of this podcast. I know that URL quite well because I go there all the time to uh, to give gift them to my friends. It's a wonderful gift to give that uh, stress-managing help that so many of us need uh, to loved ones. So check it out. And in the meantime, enjoy the wonderful Chris Parnell. Hope to see you at Largo on June 11th. In the meantime, get into it. Magic Mind. Have you ever had it? I haven't. I heard you. I heard, I heard You've heard you. me talk about it. Yeah, I did. I well, did. if you have that with your coffee, it sort of evens it out. I, I swear I'm not selling you. Like if, if we're recording, but if we weren't recording, I would have given that to you. It has a little bit of caffeine, but it adaptogens are things i think they're in mushrooms and stuff that just like take the cold sharpness of coffee and round it out so you still go up right uh there's also more pillows more blankets. (laughs) look at what i'm asking it's like a sleepover (laughs) get as comfy as you can i will or just get get, you can also put your feet on yeah whatever you need shoes off um what was I going to say? Oh, I have so many things I want to talk. I'm so happy to see you. I'm happy to see you, man. How do you feel today? How are you doing right now? I'm pretty good. I'm a little underslept, um, but overall, what happened? pretty well. I just woke up just... to pee at five thirty, and you woke up to pee at five thirty, yeah, and didn't go back. I didn't. I, I laid. I laid down and and rested for a while. But <laughs> sorry, I know everyone talks about your voice, but everyone's going to enjoy this podcast just to listen to your voice. Yeah. Like I'm going to try my best not to talk too much because it's just just you being like, I got up to pee, and it's like, yes, go on. I bet you could make an audiobook that isn't that good, like pretty great. <laughs> I, I would, except they don't pay anything. You know? Is that true? Yeah, and it takes so long. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, somebody asked me to do their biography once and uh and i i had to turn it down just because it was going to be a ton of work it's, for very little money well i did my own book yeah which was not not I, I it wasn't about money obviously it was like i already got paid for the book and i was like i'll do an audiobook but it is i think it was over three days or something yeah. you don't want to read a book in three days even if it's your book and if you mess up you have to go back right like, of course you have to go back yeah like over and over and I, suddenly i'm just going like fuck check fuck and like going back <laughs> And I felt, I'm also one of those people that feels bad for the tech, you know what I mean? Like, they're listening, and I keep messing up, and I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I'm not Ray Bradbury's guy. (laughs) Skip Bradbury. Skip Bradbury. He read all of Ray's books. (laughs) We've come up with our first sketch pitch for you, which is your Skip Bradbury, his brother, who reads them, but as he reads it, he won't stop critiquing that it's not that good, that his brother's overrated, you could do better. Like, this is our, this is our first... When is the 
we're not going to talk about SNL the whole, at all if we don't want to. What when is that meeting? Is that Monday? Monday, yeah, we, yeah. So that's our Monday pitch. That's our Monday pitch meeting in Lauren's office. That's Let, right. Let's start hot. Let's start with a hot one. How? Because I think people want to know. People want to know, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Please, please. Why? How did you not? Tell me everything you remember about more cowbell, including not laughing. And how did you not? How did you not laugh? You're the only <laughs> one. That's your. That's one of your trophies on your mantle. Yeah, it is, and it's it's enormous. It's a big trophy. Um, <laughs> it's Lauren Christopher Walken's face. Lauren had it made for me. <laughs> you push uh, a button. I'm a trophy. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was just thinking. I, somebody was asking me about it the other day about the dress rehearsal of that and what it was it like, and I I couldn't remember. I. Yeah, yeah. I, I I, I might have it somewhere because I tried while I was there to get a lot of the dress rehearsals and things on like DVD yeah. that got somebody in, in the office to burn it for me. But anyway, I don't remember what the dress was. You burned the DVD of the dress rehearsal? Some of them, yeah. Wow. There was a guy who worked in the tape library, uh, I guess you'd call it. And uh, yeah, and I paid him some you know, pocket change just to, to burn. Guy's name is Radar or something. He wears <laughs> thick glasses, always a cigarette hanging from his mouth. That's right. Hey, Radar. Yeah, Parnell. <laughs> I need the dress. You got it, boss. And he's burning it on Laserdisc. Not on Laserdisc, Radar. I- <laughs> DVD. <laughs> All right, VHS it is. <laughs> what? So that's really, really cool that you got. And I didn't even, I've never even considered that a classic sketch like that would have been done earlier that day yeah every sketch is wow. pretty much yeah, yeah for the dress exactly. and was it murdering I, well you don't remember but i don't remember how the dress went funny i'm sure i'm sure it went well i mean you know will ferrell wrote it um it was called recording studio that was the title um <laughs> and yeah i just you know christopher walken was the perfect guy to do it um, i mean who else there are other people that might have been okay at it right i went sure. right to josh brolin like if, <laughs> if it's like a square jawed like handsome cowboy that's that's also right. dead serious asking <laughs> But but nobody could do it like Chris Walker. No, no, he sure. was so perfect. Um, and the way, I mean, honestly, I did break a little bit, but um, I knew the camera wasn't on me. I just kind of looked down at my guitar and, and uh, <laughs> had, a, had a quick moment. Um, it was when Will was, you know, right up next to me in my <laughs> face or... It was hard to hard to not laugh at that. Um, yeah, I think they might like call a doctor if you if you really managed to not laugh at that. It would be proof that your soul had left your body or something. Well, that may be too. You know? And then, is there a technique? What I used to do on HBO's Crashers when I would try not to laugh is I would picture Judd, and so I guess in your case it would be Lauren screaming at me. Like I would just try to go into like my. Because when you're scared, it's hard to like have a really good chuckle. Yeah, and and Judd never screamed at me, but like in my mind, I would imagine him being like, "I gave you a big break, and this is how you how you pay me laughing. You move the dick, and like so that's what I would do. What did you do? You know, I would just this sounds so pretentious, but I would just try to be in the moment. You know, as that as that guy that's pretentious. What do you, what do you so? It, you're the, in the moment, the character. You know, oh, as the guy, right, right. What is his reality? <laughs> And he's laying down, don't fear the reaper. Right. And he right. doesn't want to mess up. Is yeah. this real? Something like that, yeah. yeah. I, so whenever it, you're trying not to laugh, you were just trying to embody the character. Not Chris Parnell, but this guy wouldn't think this is funny. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. He would He would just be there in the recording studio. And he's trying to, you know, make a good recording. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. Katie, I don't know if I've told this story before. 
just tell me if I how, if I've told it a million times. We were doing the Street Fighter. We did these Street Fighter parodies where I fire characters from this from Street Fighter, basically. <laughs> okay. And I'm telling M Bison that his uh, M Bison is the last guy. Okay. okay. You don't even. This isn't important. But it's his tournament. He's okay. like the big villain that. In the reality of the game, he's sponsoring the tournament. And I'm telling him that logistically that's a nightmare. <laughs> and like the insurance alone. And one of the fighters is a monster, like Blanca, <laughs> who can kill people. And like one guy has knives on his hands. Like this is not going to work. No. Also, <laughs> sorry to relive the sketch, but like you should have them all, the fighters should fly to one central location. Why are we flying Ryu to America to exactly. fight Ken? Have them all go to Atlanta. <laughs> The perfect so said, spot. It's not going to work. And the actor, I'm so sorry I don't remember his name, and this is the part that I would have said a million times, he cries. Oh. And I, after the scene, I was I was pretty new at acting, and I was like, how did you do that? Like, really impressed. And he said what you said. He was like, I just imagine that I'm the guy, and I really want to put on this... <laughs> I really want to put on this tournament, and now I'm being told that my dream... You haven't heard that? He's like, my dream... Can't come true, and he w he wasn't like bawling, but it wouldn't have been appropriate for him to ball. It was sort of like a a tough guy, yeah. tears coming down his face. Right. But he did the Parnell. Wow! Just like, what is the reality for the guy? <laughs> just just for the record, I don't think I invented that, but uh, you know, we're gonna call it the Parnell. Well, you know, mostly it's not it's not like super deep. It's just like I'm here in I'm here in the recording studio. I'm not necessarily that guy. It's just like I'm here in the scene and right da da da. You know, I still. If something, <laughs> Will's shirtless, I know, wigged face with the glasses and the gyrating, and at that point, I mean, I have to think we did this on on Home Sweet Home Alone. I would always be trying to make you laugh. That was like one of the ways that the whole movie was better because we were being silly. Sure. So when I say Will was probably trying to make you laugh in the same way that Farley was trying to make Spade laugh right. in in uh, Matt Foley, like he's trying to like he's. There's a little bit of him being Will to Chris, I have to imagine. Would you agree with that? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> he's but it's, get you. it's hard to tell, though. I mean, he's he's very committed, you know, and he's got this look in his eyes, this sort of dead shark look in his eyes. He's gonna he's so pissed off. That that guy, that character is so pissed off that he that they're cutting down his cowbell, you know. But uh Yeah, it was it was hard not to laugh. It was hard. <laughs> And even harder when you saw all of the more cowbell T-shirts. I mean, merchandising. You can't stop it. I know. I know. Yeah, it was a big. Uh, <laughs> it was a big surprise. I mean, I mean, not a huge surprise, but it was. You know, it's taken on this whole life of its own. Well, I have to imagine when you're. Well, you tell me. But here's the leading question: When you're doing so many sketches, like you're saying, you don't even remember the dress because you're doing so many. Right. Would you say it's true that you don't even know which ones are going to hit? Not necessarily with the live audience, but like. Like a, a more recent sketch that seemed to catch the imagination was Mr. Pumpkins. You know, I don't know if you saw Tom Hanks do Mr. Oh, Pumpkins. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That really felt like they reverse engineered something viral to me, actually. <laughs> they were like, we need something that like everyone's going to go as for Halloween. And they were like, well, just Tom Hanks up and call him Mr. Pumpkins. <laughs> right. It's really funny. But uh, More Cowbell did not... That seems like a... I'm not saying it's not funny, but it... It seems like it could have just as easily not made it. Like somebody would have been like, "Okay, this is funny, but like I don't know if it's like essential to the show. <laughs> right. Like maybe we'll put something else in there." I like, like you know what I'm saying. I guess my question is, do you did what was your spidey sense for when something was going to be popular? 
Well, I think I think the fact that everybody was breaking in it like that, I it mean, was it was a, good a pretty good sign. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's like when Rachel Dratch was doing Debbie Downer with, um, I can't remember who the host was, but, you know, she was really trying not to laugh, but she couldn't help it. And it was just, you know, other people were breaking and, yes. um, oh, Lindsay Lohan, that's who it was. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, but it's it's yeah. When 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 somebody's really trying not to laugh and they're really laughing and the audience is on board with it, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's a pretty good sign, right? So then you'd have a sense. But yeah. what about like uh, obviously Lazy Sunday is another big one for you. Did you when you saw that were you like this is going to be big or were you like who knows? Well, you know, we, when we were doing it, we were joking, you know, that oh this is going to be amazing, you know, but <laughs> not really thinking it was going to kind of be what it was, you know, yeah, we were kind of pretending to be full of ourselves but then i got a i was home um for christmas and, and i got a call f- from uh, i guess it was uh, mark lepus and nbc publicity and so they they wanted to do a piece on it for the new york times and i was just like oh, oh wow, wow. I, I didn't realize this had become a thing that's hilarious but we, mark always thanks me for mentioning him when i talk about that oh wow we'll edit it out no, don't. <laughs> no, we'll go ahead and be So this that. is for you, Mark. Everyone will think you said some swear that we don't allow, like the worst swear, like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Bleep for the New York Times. So Mark wrote it. I know that. I know that name. He, I think we yeah. worked together. That's yeah, awesome. That's really have. cool. He's yeah. a comedy guy. Yeah. Very, very cool. Yeah. So they did a piece on it. And did they ask you what I'm about to ask you, which is, did you used to go out for cupcakes? Uh, By the way, Chris, we're not just going to go through the greatest hits of your career. I'm happy to see you. We're going to talk about real life stuff. But I, I was watching so many clips of you before you came, and I was just like, uh-uh. we got it. There's certain things we got to hit. Well, sure. Let's sure. hit them up top. Yeah. And then we'll be like, have you ever seen a UFO? We'll get to that later. <laughs> um, did you go to cupcakes? That's my dumb question. Uh, I did not. I yeah. did not go get cupcakes. It seemed, I, if I had to guess, I would have guessed that was your answer because it seems more like that style that you did so often which is like it's absurd to be rapping about a baker's dozen of cupcakes yeah like that's more the joke that like oh on sunday they would go and get cupcakes (laughs) yeah that's what we did um (laughs) yeah and they and the person who was on duty as the acting manager at the time like wanted to confiscate our tape um they were not pleased that we were shooting um really and even though we they we couldn't shoot inside. We went in and got the cupcakes, or somebody did, and then we shot outside, and they did not like us doing that. But, of course, it's a public space, and I don't Whoa. think they can. But, yeah, had they known what business. We it was were... like a real, like, get out of here, you ruffians. Well, <laughs> like they, no, they weren't fist. nasty about it, but it was just like <laughs> they did not like that. There was there was shooting going on outside the, uh, the cupcake store. I, but then I'm assuming they probably saw a bump in biz, although that was one of those. That was a time in New York when I feel like cupcakes – like people were lining up for cupcakes. We're not doing yeah. that as much no. as a people. But but I was in New York at that time and it was like Yeah. Here come the cupcakes. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Sex in the City cupcakes. It was a thing, yeah. What 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 kind was it? Um Because mm, uh, it's not the kind they have here in LA. They have sprinkles here. Magnolia, Magnolia. Bakery, that's it. That's and that it. was on Sex in the City, I think. Was it? I think they made it. Very pop, very trendy. Oh, so they made it popular. Okay, not us. I'm sorry. Well, Take you it away from us, Pete. The Chronicles Jesus. of Narnia, a moderate hit. <laughs> <laughs> Did we? <laughs> Did we? Yeah. I don't know. When I was a kid, um, I went to church, and this is right. This, actually, I must not have been in New York yet, because the Chronicles of Narnia was coming out. 
And I remember my mom, this is what happened at churches around the country, I'm sure. Everybody's mom knew somebody that was maybe working on the Chronicles of Narnia because it's like a C.S. Lewis book. So it's like a Christian production. So there'd be like a lot of like, I think we can get you in this movie. (laughs) Like my mom is talking to Gail Vacanti or something and she knows somebody. And and this is coming back to you. How often does that happen when you were a kid, did somebody try to like help you out in some way that you just, I just knew in my gut, I was like, no, uh, don't even try. Please. I I'm embarrassed to be associated with this. (laughs) Like, do you recall ever having that feeling of like, I don't know how show business works, but I know it's not this. Does that feel familiar? You know what? Not I, the thing is my dad was a, uh, was a disc jockey and he, and after he, left that business he had his own recording studio i'm picturing will and more cowbell because when you say disc jockey i'm picturing long no buttons on that shirt a couple lines of cocaine on a patty he was not a rock and roll disc jockey well he was he was i mean his personality In, yeah no like, he was he, you know he's pretty you know conservative guy but uh but yeah he would have then he had his recording studio and he would have my sister and me sometimes do the voices of kids and, and commercials and things that he oh needed. that's fun yeah do you so, remember when you did oh the tangy I, whip of miracle whip was that good dad they left was that good dad what was that good dad is in the spot and i guess it's selling cool whip <laughs> i remember one of them i said something about wanting to be a football player like joe namath so that gives you a sense of how long ago it was. If if you even know who Joe Namath I do was. Know I know Joe you Namath do. Is. I know you do. But Handsome all your Joe, is that what they call Handsome him? Handsome Joe, I think so. And yeah. then I always think of Joe Namath with the purple lips. It's not, I don't, I'm not even saying this to be funny. You know that clip where he's like really ripped? I don't, I like don't drunk. know that I do know that yeah, clip. Yeah, no. well, if you love Joe Namath, and I'm guessing you do, <laughs> maybe don't watch it. Because no. it's like, uh, I think he cleaned up his act after that. But there was like a low moment. It's like some Super Bowl or something, and he clearly got lit while he was watching the game. And then he's talking to the woman. He's like, "I want to kiss you. I want to kiss you." Oh, like wow. and he's just kind of like, "Joe, no, 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 Joe, read the room. Not, not, not." What's somebody happening. was there with a, a camcorder. Oh, he has a no. He has a. He's on the air. Like they're oh, talking to oh, him shit. about the game. Wow. And his lips are dyed purple from wow. drinking too much red wine. Holy moly! No. What is your vice, Chris Barnell? I'm going to My try vice? and talk more like you. So this whole, um. if I talk a little bit more like this, this podcast will just be number one. But on the health and fitness charts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure, Pete. Um, I guess my vice is, is booze. You know, I like I like the rye and the I remember bourbon. that. Occasional yeah. scotch. Okay. Yeah. The man knows the difference between scotch and rye. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not hard, Pete. Isn't it? No, Wait, what no. is the difference? Bourbon and rye are closer. But... Bourbon and rye. What's the difference between scotch and rye? Um, it's what they're uh, malted, what, what you use to, to make the beverage, which I, I can't tell okay. you. All but, right. um, but, but they, they have, taste very different. They too. have a very different taste, yeah. Because, okay, this I also, there was no way we were going to miss this. But... Um, and I want to talk a little bit more about your family for sure. So that'll be what we go to after this, <laughs> okay. just to give you the, some previews. The One of the funniest nights of my life, and I really want to remember how you remember it too. Remember we were in Montreal. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to correct me because I might have, I might be like storybooking this memory. Yeah. It, was, it had snowed. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. was like really, really snowy. Yeah. And I think that's important. 
is that we were at this hotel and it snowed so much that like you couldn't go anywhere, but we were shooting Home Alone. Right. And and it was one of these great things. It's one of my happiest places. Are you like that? I I love being in a hotel and knowing there are friends there and we're all going to go to dinner and it's a job, but it's not that hard. Like it's fun. No, absolutely. Right. Yeah. It, It feels like. It feels like being snowed in, and, yeah. and we were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and you and I decided to go to dinner, and there was a place like, the only place we could go, because it was freezing out, was two, if that, two yeah. blocks to the right. Yeah, very close. And it was, what kind of food was it? Uh, I remember what you got, but it was just like fine dining. It yeah, was, yeah, it was yeah. a nice restaurant, yeah. Okay. We, <laughs> it's just you and me. We go in this restaurant. I, Katie, I can't stress it. It was like the size of four of these garages. It was a small yeah. place. It was intimate. Yeah. It kind of looked like somebody had turned their apartment, like a nice apartment, yeah. into a restaurant. I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying no, no, yeah. it was small. Yeah. That's important. It was the size of a warehouse, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm huge. So I was like, look at this dumb place. There's nowhere for me to put my puma. Um, so you, good puma riff. You got recognized by the manager uh, and the waiter and the waiter. Right. Okay. This is what happened. This is some. I don't recall exactly who spotted you first, but I think it was the manager. Yeah. Because I think it was one of those hands-on managers, <laughs> like proud of his restaurant. <laughs> right. Helping with the coats. Yeah. So he's taking our coats, and he recognizes you, and he starts chatting you up a little bit, and yeah. like really showing. Uh, a lot of favor, right? Right to you, yeah. Which I'm going to say, you are not that kind of person. You're like a very even person. Thank you. Uh, you know I what I'm saying? I, I think so. I, I'm not usually wild like I am on this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's sort of it. It's like if Russell Brand had gone in, I, th- there <laughs> right. might have been more like I want Jack, you know, what I mean? like like there's more of a or, show. Or Robin Williams, like sure. oh here table table for two, table for three, <laughs> oh here me, me, menage a trois, <laughs> like, just like that. There's certain personalities that if they're recognized by a hands-on manager in a tiny tiny French restaurant or whatever it was in Montreal, and there's snow, uh, they would play into it. But you're you're like a you're not playing that up. You're like, no. oh, nice to meet you. You're being nice and all that stuff. But they are ringing every bell in inside <laughs> that there is a celebrity here, and the, and the hands on <laughs> the hands on manager was so invested in how much you liked the food. Oh yeah, and I'm pretty sure he told you to get the rabbit. I think so. And I'm pretty sure, sh- I know you did. I, I know I got the rabbit. You yeah. got the rabbit, but yeah. I think he was like, Mr. <clears throat> Parnell, you you will not have a lazy Sunday if you try the oh, rabbit. Did like, he no, say he's, that? He's not no. doing that. But oh, okay. he's, he's basically being like, uh, I know Paul Rudd's cologne smelled so bad in Anchorman, but try <laughs> saying your credits. And you order the rabbit, and you, and this is where, you're, you correct me if I'm wrong, it's not great. Like, you didn't love it. Yeah, I do. I do remember not. I, I don't know if it was gristly or or what it was. I feel like it was maybe a, a fair bit of fat on it. Yes. Yeah. No, this is so key. It's so small. It's so quiet, and it's so snowy, and he is so laser locked on your re- reaction, <laughs> and you barely eat it. Like you don't eat a lot of it yeah. because it was fatty, right? Whatever it was, you didn't like it. And he comes personally by to clear the plates. And there's like 99% of this rabbit <laughs> on your plate. Maybe 90. Maybe 90. Maybe 90. Yeah. And he he has the 
audacity to say, did you like it? <laughs> and you, your face sort of quivered in the way that a big lie will bubble up to your nostrils. And you were like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're taking it away pretty much as it was dropped. He didn't like it, but like... Something about you specifically, someone who seems like you don't want to, you like this guy was so nice, you don't want to hurt his feelings. No. But the plate, it was like the telltale plate. <laughs> right. Like you were set, trying to do everything you could to make this guy feel good, but the plate protested too much. It did. But, but I also don't think, I don't think I, I don't think I worked that hard to, to sell the idea that I like the rabbit. No, you, you let out a meek. Yeah. Like that. Yeah, and yeah, that yeah. killed me and it became church laughter and I was just crying you did. You... and laughed the rest of the night. <laughs> and I'm still talking about it. Like, I think I've told that story without you here. Really? Wow. One of the funniest nights of my life. Something about who you are. <laughs> I don't know. I can't even. I can't even quite describe it. Which, which it will take. I know we were going to talk about family, but like when t- th- talking about that, like Russell Brand or Robin Williams, you are even keel. Is that like a sure, a sure. good way to put it? Yeah, yeah. When I picture SNL, I do picture more of that, like somebody's rolling a piano up the stairs. You know, like they're just like, we got to get a piano for a sketch, and they're drunk, and they haven't worked there for three years. It just seems kind of wild, or at least the hours are kind of strange. Did you gel with that lifestyle? Well, you know, when I was doing it, it it wasn't the crazy lifestyle for most of us that you might picture from the 70s or something i mean there wasn't there wasn't an abundance of drugs up there i mean we had a bottle of of whiskey in our office will and jerry collins and i when i first started there we called it the gentleman's quarters and um (laughs) after the table read on wednesday we would have a a a little glass of scotch or whatever it was and uh that was very nice scotchy scotch scotch Scotchy Scotch from uh, Anchorman. Oh, I'm assuming oh, you don't right. watch. Anchorman I do. Rem- I do remember that though. <laughs> no. People who weren't in it. No. Yeah. We throw don't. it on. No, that's Pe- good. People still throw it on. It's, no, it's, it's worth a throwing. Very, very funny movie. So he says, So you have a, a in the gentleman's quarters. Yeah, we'd have our scotch, but um, yeah. I mean, it was it was it wasn't too crazy, you know. Um, and it and it was competitive, I guess. But most of that was kind of behind the scenes, and, and people in general, I would say, got along pretty well. What does that mean, competitive? Like, how did that manifest when it did? Well, I think it would manifest itself by a, a cast member going into Lauren's office and sort of expressing their frustration that their sketch hadn't made it in or didn't, you know, get a good spot or whatever. Right. Um, and I kind of didn't ever, I never knew about that kind of until after the fact it would trickle down, you know. Right, and, right. Um, you mean like, not gaming the system, but being like, I think I can go to this guy and like whisper in his ear a little bit? Well, not even that. It was more like um, Lorne being scared of the person. Um, really? I not, never think of him that way. Well, that that was my take on it. I was never there for it, but it was described to me. And I think he just didn't want to deal with this person's upset being upset you yeah. know and, and and coming after him you know um, oh that's so interesting of course he's a human being he doesn't want people coming in and yelling yeah so then maybe we're hypothesizing but maybe then that would nudge a sketch on maybe the squeaky wheel getting the grease maybe yeah sort of thing. yeah okay did you face that frustration like you'd write something you really like or you had something written for you that you really liked and it would be kind of, by sure. the way this isn't like a nasty podcast i'm not trying to be like what's the dirt chris what's the dirt who do you hate who do you hate you mad at jay moore <laughs> like yeah you know, like I, I that's not what i'm about uh, so i'm just curious 
were you seeing results? Were you getting stuff on or were you feeling a little bit more frustration and then you got better at learning how to get stuff on or well you know i yeah so i mean everybody's most everybody gets frustrated on the show because you know you spend so much time writing all these sketches and then you know you're going to do them at the table read wednesday and then only a handful are going to get picked it's brutal and then after that they're going to get cut at air and that kind of thing but when i fared best i mean i think the only things really that i got on beside my my weekend update wraps were when I would write with one of the people like on the writing staff. You were freestyling. <laughs> completely You're made those up on the spot. incredible freestyler. <laughs> Thanks. Knowing you can't you. swear. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Keeping it clean but dirty. It yeah. was in really incredible <laughs> off the dome like you. that. Thank you. <laughs> what, would be, yes. what would be hard was when uh, a sketch would make it to dress um, that you know, you're really hoping would, would then make it onto air, but it would get cut. And I, I had that happen a lot of times with a, a character called Terry Funk. Terry uh, Funk, tell Terry me Funk. everything. Can you close the door? There's a there's a leaf flare, please. Just, uh, I'm talking to Katie like she's Alexa. Alexa, close the door. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. She's leaving. Oh, she's finally wow. had enough. She, she, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you did it, Pete. Wow. She I, was in a rage. With my kid, with Leela, I, I sometimes am polite to Alexa. Do you ever do that? You're like, uh-huh. Alexa, play Frozen, please. Because no. I don't think she knows... The difference. She doesn't know it's not a sentient being. She doesn't know it's not sentient, and she just she either hears me being polite or she doesn't. We're going to get back to that funk guy. I'm just wondering, <laughs> have you ever done that with your child, being like, "I'm going to be polite to something that isn't real"? Just no. We don't. You know, we don't do any of the speaking things in the house. Just oh, you don't have any of those. We don't have any of those. Um, I'm just too paranoid about being listened in on. I mean, yeah, I do a lot of undercover stuff. But, <laughs> <laughs> You know, I have a pretty... I shouldn't be talking about it. Um, I did. I had a bit of... <laughs> it's so funny that they did put a listening device in her house, and the way they got me, for example, to do it was music, something I already had. Right. right. Like, <laughs> they just made it so I can play it with my voice. Yeah. And you're like, no, I'll just get up and uh, press play myself. Well, <laughs> and, you know, I still do that. that's not bugged. I still do that with my phone, you know. Oh, and so we'll you are bugged. Well, you know, if if they want to go that far to, to infiltrate my phone, then I, think that's, I, I guess we're all bugged. I but. think it's sixes, man. They're like, we could either hack Parnell's Alexa or his phone. And they're like, just do both. We got a minute and a half. <laughs> we can do it. You were saying the funk, though. Oh, Terry Funk. Yeah. Terry Funk. Terrence to his friends. Uh, he uh, <laughs> he was a guy that lived in his parents' basement. Um, a very uh, effeminate Southern man um, who had some fun tastes and... Uh, you know, he was he was sort of ba- he was based on a, a a guy at college that I knew, um, not well, but uh, but yeah, we only he only made it on the air a couple of times. Once with Jeff Gordon, uh, the race car driver. Um, it was it was Jeff's best sketch by far. He really took to it. He was great. Yeah, in it. yeah, and yeah. Then, and then uh, and then I did it another time with Horatio doing one of his characters. Um, oh shoot, I can't remember his name, the character's name. And Will, Will was the host, and uh, the three of us did a thing called Going to the Movies, um, I think, and it was a terrible little movie review show. So. Was it, this is leading, but it's, you know, on the show, people did, they love to load the, the Chris Parnell irony, meaning like, let's make a guy that seems like Ted Koppel, I, I, I'm, you know, like who can play that straight right. and make him rap really aggressively like obviously that's super funny but then it sounds like terry funk was like i'm wondering if it was a little bit more like let me let me be silly let me show you some another side is that what maybe makes it stick out 
as oh, yeah. the thing that got cut? Yeah, yeah, because it was a character I really liked doing. I wrote it with Paula Pell, and um, mm-hmm. it was it was just it was a lot of fun, and I felt like I did it pretty well. And uh, yeah, it was just hard to you know find the right host for it. I mean, we did it. We did it. I, I did it with a lot of hosts, but I don't I don't know how many times it made it to dress. Um, but yeah, but you know, I mean. I, one of the great things about SNL was just being able to do so many different kinds of characters and things. And yeah. I didn't have that many uh, characters. Um, but, you know, I had like the Bloater Brothers with Jimmy, which I don't know how many people remember that. We were two very awkward brothers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, with, with curly uh, little afros. And uh, <laughs> um, I had the uh, DeMarco Brothers with Chris Kattan. Uh-huh. We, were, we were backup dancers, <laughs> um, always auditioning for the musical guest. But... Uh, but yeah, so sometimes I would have things, um, you know, I had, I had a few no, crazy characters No, I'm not saying you were, you were typecast. No, clearly I'm you just are. A, you are. You're saying, I, you're saying I did one thing. You're saying I did one thing. I was a one-trick Well, party. I think, I'm curious though, you know, I'm not like you, but like I get pitched things like, you know, friendly guys and, and, yeah. and, and, and priests and pastors and stuff like that. And I'm fine with it. Yeah, yeah. And I think you also had that groove. I wonder, sort of switching gears... Do you see, uh, when I saw Beck Bennett, who did this podcast, and I think is incredible. Oh, yeah. I'm like, oh, he's sort of like the Parnell. Does that <laughs> does that make sense? Like, it seems like Lauren figures out the different flavors that are needed. And then when you lose Parnell, you hire new Parnell. <laughs> I, I'm not saying he's derivative. Yeah, he yeah, does his no, own no, no. thing. Yeah, yeah. And I absolutely love him. Did you feel that way? Were you like, oh, he's doing the that slot? We'll call it the... The yellow slot. <laughs> I did a little bit. I did a little bit, and I think I, f- I feel like there was some comparison. Was there? Uh, there were some comparisons made. Yeah, because he would also do the VO for a lot of the commercial parodies. And, yes. Uh, yeah, he was Beck's amazing. Uh, I don't know that I've ever actually met Beck, uh, sadly, but uh, but yeah. Well, you're sitting where he sat. Oh my God. Pre-pan. It's a long time ago. Wow. That is he, a long time. I, I think he's truly, truly, truly great, and. I wonder what the different flavors are. Like, if you're Lauren and you're putting that together, I mean, like, I, well, like Will is sort of like a. What do you even call I, that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. And I then, mean, how do you get? Like, how do you make another one? But it's almost like, if there was another Will, would you want? You wouldn't want five Wills. <laughs> you know what I'm you? saying? Would you? I mean, or you would, would you? I mean, I mean, one of the great things, one of the many great things about Will is that he was also a really strong writer. So he would bring a lot of stuff to the table, either by himself or with like Adam McKay. Yeah, you want five Wills. <laughs> <laughs> I exactly. take it back. You exactly, want five you do. But there are yeah. different different flavors. Yeah. Um, well, let's go back in time a little bit to the beginning of this interview. Do you like me? I'm just kidding. I'm let's go back oh, in time. God. This is awesome. Um, well, Pete, I think you're a good guy. Um, I think you got a lot of great qualities. Um, do you think I'm in the lineage of Beck Bennett? I think <laughs> you're the- in a different lineage of, yes. of your own. I'm more of a, well, I don't even know who I am. Stand up um, Stand actor. Up actor. Yeah. So that's more of like uh, rock and spade. I just want SNL people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I'm your story is very interesting. Uh, I'm 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 sure you've told it many times, but I'm curious about why acting and why comedy and how it came about. But if you could really, before you tell the story, what are those memories that you have of performing as a young person? Like for me, it was like summer camp or, or it was like youth group. Like those early, 
or I was in a video production class where we'd learn how to make videos. Right. But like, you'd have to have someone in the video. And I was like, well, yeah, like, I, like I'm immediately volunteering to be in everyone's video. Sure. For you, what were those early, even before high school, do you remember, uh, I guess you could say getting the bug or, or, or wanting to perform or realizing you didn't want to be an audience member, you wanted to be on stage? You know, that, did, that didn't, I mean, that took a little while to come. It was, wasn't really until middle school, but I was, you know, I was, I was silly. I was a cut up and would try to make people laugh in class and, and got in trouble for that quite a lot. And in the uh, same style that I'm talking to today, was it like kind of like an understater? Were you like just, Oh no, I was kind of like a crazy fire hose. <laughs> yeah. Not a fire hose. I don't, I don't remember what I did. I mean, <clears throat> but I, I did, one, one occasion I remember cause it, I think it embarrassed my poor mother so much is we had like an, a, an open house sort of day at first in first grade and the, the, the mothers mostly, I, if not all the mothers came to sort of see some projects we'd done. And one of the things that our teacher, Miss Smith did for entertainment was she was going to play the guitar and sing sunshine on my shoulders. <laughs> and I, I thought that was a great opportunity to sort of act it out behind her. Um, <laughs> Until she finally caught me and uh, corrected me, much like an interpretive dance. Well, just like sort of just miming it all, you know. It was, I'm sure it was really lame, like but, sunshine. Yeah, on my, and I was like looking at my shoulder. And, you know, yeah, it was, it, was, it was not good in my Baptist in my Baptist private school. Or was it? <laughs> so that so you were a hammy kid, a little bit, yeah, a bit. And can I, without getting too therapy ish, I like my parents were just here, and I, I I notice even when I'm with them, I really perform, and I think like they 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 would sort of be in their own worlds a lot of the time, and that made me want to like sparkle and get their attention. Sure, sure. Sense. So I loved being heard, and and getting laughs was like a way to. It's like confirmation that you've been heard or seen yeah. in the case of a dance. So it was sort of like in the home, there were a lot of big personalities in my home and that made me want to like oh, sure. out, outlie or, or stand out in some way. What was it, what was going on in your life that you think developed a sense of humor? Like why did you develop that? God, I, you know, it's a, it's a good question. I, you know, I had a pretty you know, solid family life, normal, not, you know, not anything too crazy. We went to church and I was, you know, a believer and, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, well, but I, I'm sure, I'm, did the bo- sorry. I'm, well, I'm sure it was a, a, just kind of insecurity, just wanting attention, you know, yeah. uh, uh, wanting to be liked, you know, I wonder for me when I, I was, uh, went to church and was a believer and all that too. And when that performance principle of like, if you're good, you you go to heaven. If you're bad, you go to hell. So I wanted to like constantly be proving that I was absurd, like making laughs and here and oh, good. Like if they're laughing, it's okay. But like I didn't want anyone to be mad. Like mad wasn't safe. Sure. And I wonder if that, I'm actually just processing this in real time. I'm like that figure, that God that was going to like kick me into a furnace if I was bad, probably made me want to sparkle all the more. Like if I can get yeah. everybody going right like you don't send that kid to hell no you know what i mean i'm juggling and stuff does that make any sense to you i don't think so i mean definitely that upbringing affected me and and continues to affect me Mm. um but i don't i because i i think i separated i was kind of literal i mean i knew 
if you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven. If you didn't, you're going to hell. And so my so you performative good. thing kind of didn't matter, you know. You you felt locked in. Well, I I I would I would ask for forgiveness when I felt like I would you know was yeah. being being bad or you know yeah. causing too much trouble or something you know. Yeah, but, I understand. But I didn't see it as a. It wasn't. I was always. It was always reinforced that getting into heaven was not a matter of accumulating good works. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Um, it was just your... a grace-based sort of thing. Yeah, which is great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, less guilt, <laughs> less shame. How did it wear on you? Some? <laughs> well, no, there was plenty. I mean, it still wears on me now because I'm. I've, uh, this is something I. I don't talk about it the religious aspect, but in therapy, you know, like being very hard on myself and sort of watching myself and being a little strict with myself. And so I'm always working on being freer and, um, and you know, the general thing of being in the moment and enjoying life and and all that kind of stuff. But I think I still feel, feel the, the God sort of thing looking over me and it's sort of become in my own head, I think. Of course. Yeah. An overdeveloped superego. I guess. Well, the thing that just a fancy way, obviously (laughs) of saying the thing that's wagging its finger or wants right. you to do better. Exactly. Or like, come on, Chris, that's not how we behave or right. whatever. Well, that's why I asked you about the the vice. Like the the drinking helps you lighten up, I'm assuming. You know, I just um yes. But I, I also just love the flavor of it. I, yeah. I really enjoy the flavor of a nice a whiskey. I, by the way, I, I don't drink anymore, but I I'm with you. Like I yeah. like drinking stringent things yeah. like i'll just swallow my listerine when i'm done <laughs> I, don't, I don't care i'm, I'm 100 cool mint guys cool mint relax it's cool mint still Pete, uh, uh again my dad was just here and he was watching my daughter eat something and she just lit up and he was uh, like oh the taste buds are still working and i'm like yeah dad she hasn't been gargling listerine for 30 years you've been searing them off he laughed really hard he, he's an original listerine man for a really long time time and they are a sponsor so i shouldn't be saying this but i think it makes it uh, you unable to taste your food but listerine.com slash weird for i'm just they are not a sponsor that's i, say, I think you just lost them there they go okay so uh interpretive dance and then what happened in middle school where you continued to blossom although we were on that god thing that was pretty interesting well you know it, there's there was something that happened it just sounds crazy, but I was a big Charlie's Angels fan. Uh-huh. I, I, Farrah Fawcett was like my first, you know, celebrity crush. Um, and uh, as I'm sure she was for for many folks. Yeah. Um, to quote Steve Martin, the amount of time I spent holding her poster with one hand. <laughs> <laughs> Dirty birdie. Dirty birdie, Steve. Only uh, masturbators in the building. <laughs> okay, weird, weird riffs. Um, but yeah. you were obsessed with Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, I love Farrah Fawcett. I, mean, I had a Charlie's Angel scrapbook, which I still have. Um, uh-huh. And I and I had the thought of like I wanted to be around beautiful women like Farrah and and Jacqueline and Kate. How how would I get to do that? And <laughs> and it made sense to me that well. You want to be in the business, you know. You want to be in the in the film, TV right. business. You know. You wanted to be Charlie, right? I just I just wanted to be around, you know, beautiful ladies. That was that was a, a part of a, my childhood motivation. Can I just say, Chris, this is one of the most honest and earnest and sort of innocent things that have been, have been said on this podcast, and it's exactly what I'm getting at. It's like when you say that, it takes me back to that age, middle school, and it being such a mystery. Where are beautiful women? Yeah. How on earth? And it wasn't even about like, 
I like how you're saying it. I just wanted to be around them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I hadn't yet put it together uh, what what a relationship was or, no. or I didn't have a good understanding of what sex was or anything no. like that. But I was just like, beautiful women, Farrah Fawcett. For me, it was Tiffany Amber Thiessen. I'm no. like, how do I get that? And you look on TV and we would see guys like us with beautiful women and you're like, maybe this. Yeah. That was yeah. so earnest. Yeah. I loved it. That's true. Yeah. Um, so that we had a we got a new drama teacher at SBEC Southern Baptist Educational Center. We had a new, I knew what SBEC. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I don't mean to condescend. No, I love that. <laughs> Gay Forbes, who was a, a very lovely woman in her own right, um, she started sort of a drama program there because we didn't have anything, and there were auditions, and uh, and I had noticed in the yearbook there was a, a drama club, and I was completely unaware of that, and one of my classmates was in it, and I was like, well, wait, I want to be in this, and so the auditions happened, I auditioned, I got a little part in this one play um and i and then i got the lead and i don't know if it was the next one or whatever but i but i you know i got to do some plays there and uh and then i changed schools and went to uh, we we moved out of memphis proper to a suburb called germantown and uh went to germantown high school and um started doing speech tournaments and things there um okay. where you would just do a i would do this duet acting scene um or scenes and you would perform them at different high schools around and and you were like competing against other schools and you would get you know the judges would vote and uh and but it was it for me it was so important because it was just a matter of getting up in front of people and and doing scenes and and not you know being uncomfortable with that yeah acting though acting so it was yeah. a speech class but you were doing like a scene from a play yeah, it was a cutting from a play. It was called Duet Acting. I would also do uh, radio or television broadcasting, which is where you take a bunch of clips uh, from you know news stories that they'd give you in a box, and you'd put them together and make a little make do transitions and an introduction, and then you would read that either to a camera or just to the mic, and then that was another competition thing that I would okay. do as well. But but yeah, um, but I was very lucky because uh, Frank Bluestein was the drama teacher uh, there, and uh, and he, uh, he he you know he. He, we, the show, the school put on amazing shows. I mean, legitimately amazing for a high school. Um, really? Yeah, they were, they were really incredible. He was a hard ass. I mean, he was tough. Um, everybody respected him, um, but he did not accept mediocrity from us. <laughs> um, you had to like really show up and do the work and be there and, you know, do your best. And he would not put up with it. Would he like, how ba- are we almost at whiplash level like jk simmons maybe i didn't i didn't watch i never saw whiplash um but, but like he, he domineering would, like, yeah he would yell at us i mean he would really yell stuff that probably wouldn't age super well probably not yeah. no but i mean but it was you know everybody everybody respected him you know right. it wasn't like it, it wasn't was like cruelty we, for cruelty's sake it no was, it was a it was a a leader. He was leading the charge. Yeah, he, he knew what we were capable of, and he knew that to get it out of us, sometimes people needed yelling at. Did he yell at you? Uh, oh, yeah. I'm Parnell? Sure. Did I he def- call you Parnell? <laughs> um, I don't know what he called me, but <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I certainly got yelled at. For? I don't know, something, you know, I don't, I don't know, just, you know, not being where I was supposed to be, or yeah. making a late entrance, or not having the lines learned. I don't know, wow. you know. So all art stuff, not like... Having a rock and roll attitude. Oh no! It's like you guys were there to do theater, and this guy was going to take you to the top of the mountain. Yeah, 
Yeah. Wow. And you're, I, it sounds like you were grateful that you had this person. Oh my God. He's, he's, he's still a friend. I mean, uh, he was, he's my mentor. He's, he's wow. the person who taught me what good acting was. Wow. Um, and he understood it because we'd see these, we'd see these other students at, at these other schools and their idea of acting well was just to emote to the 10th degree, you know, yeah. it was just super big. Everything was like this and oh my goodness and this and yeah, this. Yeah. Jimmy, <clears throat> we got to get the cat out of the tree. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, he, he, you know, we, we benefited from his having a much better sense of what good acting was. And, and, you know, and we brought that to our scenes and, and eventually I won first place in the state of Tennessee with my duet acting Ooh. two years in a row. Pete. What two was years that in scene? A row. What scene were you doing? Glass menage? No, this was uh, <laughs> the gentleman call it. <laughs> good scene for high school though. Yeah. Um, the first one was from a play called The Diviners, and then another one, the second one, um, was a place on the Magdalena Flats. And where did your teacher friend, what was his name again? Frank Bluestein, right, Mr. Frank. B, Mr. B, I still call him. Mr. B. Yeah. Oh, yeah. great. I, 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 because of this podcast, I've been able to stay in touch with some of my high school teachers, oh. and it's really special. That's nice. Also a Mr. B. Um, where did he learn how to act? Was, was he an actor? No, he wasn't an actor. Um he uh, he he was an educator. I mean, he he really cared about it. He loved but he it. Had taste. I mean, he, had, he could discern what good acting. Yeah, was. That's he had a, a that's a rare talent. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Um, he he was, yeah, he was, he was and is a brilliant man. You know, um, and he was the one who you know after I'd done I've been doing plays like up through you know my senior year and getting bigger parts and and all that kind of thing. Who encouraged me? He said, you know, if you wanted to do this for real, you could actually do it. He compared me very generously to Al Pacino. <laughs> he oh, said, wow. you could be like Al Pacino. Um, and so I remember, by the way, someone said I could be like Liam Neeson. Yeah. And it, it was my friend, John Sroof, who was, uh, I was in a play and he's an actor and he was giving me some tips. He was like, look at you. He was talking about my size and he was like, you could be like Liam Neeson. And I thought he meant Leslie Nielsen. Oh. <laughs> and I, I really was like, oh, thank you very much. Well, only later did I realize he meant Liam Neeson. I was like, wow, that, that was not uh, Leslie Nielsen. I'd be very happy. Yeah, with great that. comparison. But Leslie Nielsen is, is, uh, Am I saying Liam Neeson was more like Pacino, like like a real yeah. dramatic, like oh wow, I never could see myself like that. And he saw you as uh, as Pacino. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, I, I mean, I I don't know how literally he thought that, but you know, he encouraged but he saw the potential. Yeah, he encouraged you. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, that gave me the sort of that was the the, the encouragement that I needed to. Okay, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna go for it then because I do want to do this and you know audition for drama school and thankfully got in and. And your any resistance from the parents at this point? Well, you know, my my dad was already showbiz kind of adjacent with what he did, and so he and he knew some. That's what a, a DJ's business card says: showbiz adjacent. <laughs> hey, I'm Stan on on KBAM. Showbiz adjacent. You know that we think of you this way. That's brutal. But yes, he wasn't big time, is what you mean. He he was in. He was. I, I know now. Yeah. I feel like I'm talking shit about your dad. I just mean he wasn't Howard Stern. He was no, yeah, showbiz adjacent. Yeah, yeah, and 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 for the only for a little bit of my childhood was he a DJ. It was mostly him in a recording studio, recording commercials, producing commercials, that okay. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. But he knew Memphis actors who had gone to LA and, and done some work and had some success, but they had also told him stories about how hard it was. So he felt uh, a responsibility to, to make sure that I knew how hard it was. And so, you know, they, they would talk to me about that. But once they realized how serious I was, they were, they were very supportive. Really? Yeah. That's great. Yeah. 
And your mom too, she wasn't. I'm wondering, nobody in the church was like, I remember some people were like, it's the devil's work. Like a a few (laughs) people, uh, somebody wrote a letter and my mom gave it to me. I feel like my mom could have gone ahead and just thrown that one away. (laughs) But she was like, Roberta wrote this letter. And you know, I still remember what it was. It was comedy is in nightclubs and nightclubs are just where they serve alcohol. And then it had all these verses about not offering your neighbor strong drink or something. Wow. Well, you, whenever you're in Exodus, the the early, the numbers of the book, you know, it's <laughs> yeah. like the network yeah. channels on the TV. <laughs> uh, those aren't, I mean, I you could know. almost prove anything you wanted to prove with sure. the early works, oh, the yeah. law, the, the law books of the Bible. Right. But um, you didn't run into any of that with your Baptist peeps? I did not. I did not. But I don't think my upbringing was quite as strict as okay. yours. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so it, they were like, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Great. Very much. And then you got into drama school. How does that work? I'm not playing dumb for the sake of the show. How do you apply to drama school? Do you have to submit a tape or something? Well, you submit a a written application and... um but you have to write it with a quill. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do it very fancy. I am Bickman <laughs> Um But basically, you go. I, I you could have, I could have done a group audition, which is what I was initially going to do, where you go to like one school, but a lot of representatives from different you know colleges are there to watch you do your scene or scenes or whatever um, or your monologue. And Mr. Bluestein encouraged me to go to North Carolina School of the Arts and do the audition there um, for those drama teachers there and and i did and uh, so it's like you that's and a, that's good advice i think it was good advice. it's like instead of putting it on tape or, or or doing it watered down maybe with the group go right directly exactly yeah good advice and yeah and so you know a lot of a lot of kids auditioned and uh, and thankfully i was i was one of the ones that got accepted big day the thick envelope arrives I, yeah, I'm, I'm. I know that it was. I know I was very excited. I don't remember many specifics of it. I think maybe I got a. I don't know if I got a call from my parents. Like, uh, they might have called up at the school and somehow gotten to me. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, because uh, they got it at home. Yeah, I came. I came to my house. Wow! Yeah. And they just went ahead and opened. <laughs> I guess, I think so. Yeah, I think they did. I think so. I, I have a terrible memory, Pete. So I could no, be making fine. all of this up. I may not have even gone to drama school. Right? <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't think any of this is true. You're uh, Bob Dylaning me. I always think it was funny that Bob Dylan just gave fake answers for interviews. Oh, did he? Well, it's completely different from my style. <laughs> I'm like, tell everything. Every imagine. I don't think it's that cool, but I mean, like, it's a Bob Dylan kind of cool. That it's like, well, my dad was a shoemaker and my mom <laughs> rose the dead. It's just like, <laughs> next interview, his dad's a carpenter. It's like, oh, just really? change it. Yeah, I, I, I think he, he would do that from time to time. That. I'm glad you're not doing that. So the we're coming to a part, you got some work after college? Yeah, after uh, like between junior and senior year, I went and did summer stock at the Berkshire Theater Festival, which was I had to audition for and, and and got, and that was a great experience, amazing. And then I did the Alley Theater's Apprentice Program the year I, after I graduated right. down in Houston, um, and that was a that was a good experience overall. But I left there kind of disenchanted. Um, thinking, yes, I read this because yeah. they didn't take you into the main company. Yeah, even though there really was no main who, company. No, no. Who do who do we want to say fuck you to? What's your name? <laughs> Abby. Abby. No, I'm just kidding. Sam. No, it Timmy. Was, there was a guy in the company <laughs> with me, lovely guy, and he, but he was much better. I saw it as about him being a much better socializer, a much better schmoozer with ah. the uppity ups in the in the theater. And 
And also, he was a much better singer than me, which was probably the real reason. Interesting. He, yeah, he got invited to stick around and be a part of this musical production. Um, and I didn't. And I was like, I was bummed and sort of naive and, and ridiculous. And I just thought, well, I guess I'm not going to have a career in the theater doing regional theater. It must have hurt, though. I mean, that it, it seems so silly now, but at the time, it probably felt like the world ended a little bit. Well, it just, you know, I felt like that what I had done there... Uh, I, we would understudy these main sto- main shows, and then we also would do our own shows. and And I felt like I, you know, I'd, I'd made a good showing, and, and thought something should come of that, but yeah. it didn't. So I went back and taught high school for a year. That I want to talk about because I feel like, did you ever pitch that as a show? No. That point in your life, <laughs> you could do it like everybody hates Chris, like you're the the narrator, <laughs> or it could be you. But like you, you would be a great. English, like the English teacher who wanted to be an actor. Well, I was the drama teacher. I taught introduction uh, to theater. Like Mr. Intro- B. Yeah, introduction to film and video. Okay, yeah. let's get to that, but put a pin just for one moment. I'm just curious how, it's interesting. We've dealt, we've had two rejections. One was uh, your sketches getting cut, mm-hmm. and then the other was not getting in that piece of shit. What's it called? <laughs> the alley? <laughs> Fuck you, Sam. <laughs> Am I getting close with the name? No. Nope. Uh, but in both cases, it it felt like there must like. It, and by the way, Chris, I'm not trying to expose you. I feel this way too. There must be some secret party, some secret room, some relationship that's being forged that I wasn't invited to. That's how I would interpret. Uh, it's still how I interpret right. rejection and failure. Is I'm like, well, there was probably. Some party I wasn't invited to. Some, in some way, I was rejected, like on a personal level. All of this is to say, like, how do you cope with rejection now? Well, I'm 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 much better at it now. Yeah. Um. Obviously, hopefully. Um. I still don't particularly enjoy auditioning. Um. It's vulnerable, right? Yeah. And nowadays, it's just all either mostly putting yourself on tape. They still call it. Um. Yeah. But even though it's on your iPhone. Um, or occasionally a Zoom audition. Um, but I just I just switched agencies recently. I love my other agents, but I just went from UTA to A3 and um, a smaller agency. And, and you know, and, and the guys over there have, I've gotten so many auditions in just the few months I've been with them. That's great. Yeah, it is great. And so Sometimes it's... You need to like change the water in the hot tub, you know? Yeah. And, but, but, you know, it's... I, I do them and I feel good about them often, not always, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And, and then I'm just hoping, oh, maybe I'll get this one. Maybe I'll get this one. I, I, I almost, almost never do. Yeah. Um, I get, That's I get very surprising to me. I get work almost always because people offer me work, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I mean, I, that's something to be grateful for. Isn't it? Oh God. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Really, really cool. Did, did you, I read for home alone, like I drove in and auditioned, and that that was actually good to Mr. B's point. Like it was pre-pan, believe it or not. I know, I know. Crazy yeah. pre-pan. Yeah. And I drove to the casting agent and read for it, and it was one of those situations where I wasn't right for the part I was reading for, but they gave me a different part. Ah. But I don't think, for some reason, I'm like. You need to be in the room with them to be like, I think they might be better for this. I feel like if it's on a tape, you're just watching a clip. You're like, nah, right? <laughs> like it, it was better, Mister B style. Yeah. Did you? Were you offered that? 
I think I was. Yeah. Uh, but I honestly don't remember. It's really cool. I mean, like I'm I'm just being grateful for your life. I'm being <laughs> being grateful. Because yeah, your life has been rough. My life is oh, rough. No, no, no. It, it, I like any opportunity to remember how special it is. Like the the kid that that was mad that he didn't get into that piece of shit theater company, the alley, <laughs> you know, now can't remember. Like it would have been either or. Like maybe you read for it, or maybe they just called and offered you a part in a movie. Right, that's something to be grateful for, right? It is, and absolutely is. It yeah. makes me feel nice just to think about it for you. That's so sweet. Yeah, you're, you're, hey, I mean, you come a long way. I have, I have, and uh, and ho- hopefully still have a ways to go. No, no, you're done. I'm done. You're done. Oh, jeez. Okay. Val and I were just left. Oatly has that campaign. You maybe you've seen it around town. They're not a sponsor, although they would be. I love Oatly. All right, only.com slash weird. It won't get you anywhere. But, uh, but they have this campaign that's frequently asked questions about Oatly. And it says stuff like, um, if I drink Oatly, can I drink other kinds of milk? Or something? Like, they're right. stupid questions. Yeah. But one of them says, if I drink Oatly, am I done? <laughs> I thought that was so funny. Because especially in LA, so many of us are driving around going like, am I done? <laughs> like, was it the Oatly? You're absolutely not done. How ridiculous. I feel like... It's almost like you you're fifty something. Fifty-five. Fifty-five. Yeah. I feel like you've always meant to be fifty-five. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I watched, like I said, these these clips, and you made sense as a young man, yeah. but you make a lot more sense <laughs> as a fifty-five year old. You might be right. You might be right. I think th- but what I'm saying is it's a, like this is the prime. Like you've reached your cruising altitude. It's like that's the Chris part now. <laughs> when you're talking about being a little like a teenager in plays, I'm like, I can't even picture this guy, <laughs> you, being in plays as a kid because you were always meant to be a grown up. Like you're a perfect grown up. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I hopefully I don't know about perfect, but uh, yeah, I, um, yeah, it does feel like, you know, I, I've hopefully passed this sort of middle ground where maybe now I'll be cast as more dads and things like that. Absolutely. Um, I've got this, I'm going to pitch a little movie um, called Senior Year. It's coming out on Netflix on May 13th. Oh, I thought you were going to pitch it to me. I'll write it. No, no, no. I guess that's not a pitch. I guess I'm I'm just (laughs) No, you're pitching a movie to the the, the listeners. Um, Yeah, I play Rebel Wilson's dad, um, which might be a little unbelievable, but... um, yeah, but yeah, I, it's like it's like more of a dramatic part. There's, it's a comedy for sure, but I get to do a little more sort of serious stuff. Which do which you will, do an Aussie? Isn't she Aussie? She is, um, but I am just American. Her, you almost said regular, but I'm just normal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just decent. Uh, uh, so it's called Senior Year. Senior Year. Okay. Rebel Wilson uh, and Gowrie Rice. Does she have to like go back? I'll tell you what it's about based on the title. Okay. They find her transcripts. Um, okay, so it's something un- unusual. The NSA wants to hire her. <laughs> and she did go to college and she graduated, but they look at her file and they're like, I'm sorry, but you didn't finish your senior year of high school. And she goes, crikey. (laughs) And then we go, "Uh, this is absurd, but um, J. Edgar Hoover (laughs) is here. It's a period piece. And uh, (laughs) it's a period piece. And I know he worked for the FBI, but he's here at the NSA. And he's saying you have to go to high school just for your senior year, one year of high school. And, um, And all of the people that bullied her their kids are now there and she has to like learn about herself. That is exactly it. I knew it. <laughs> what is it really about? Um, well, we see her when she's in high school and she's played by Anne Gowrie Rice, this amazing uh, young actor also from Australia. Um, and 
she is like a cheerleader, the cheer, cheer captain and all this. And she, because of something that happens, goes into a coma. And then she wakes up, I think, 20 years later. Uh -huh. And so I play her father both when she's a young lady, a younger lady, and now as, a, as an adult lady. Um, okay. Yeah. And so it's sort of So her, she has to go to senior year. She wants After to go back and in a coma. she doesn't have to. She really wants to. She really right. wants to go back and finish the the senior year and <laughs> and all of that that she didn't get to finish. It's I I think it's a great idea. I'm not just saying that because it has that twinge of like, why didn't I think of that? Like it's, it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, I didn't pitch this movie, but uh, somebody told me about a movie. It was right when Will was in old school. You you just got him on my mind. Somebody was like had this movie script going around where it's a baby is left on the door at the door of a frat house so yeah. the baby is raised by fraternities right and now it's will who still lives in the frat house but he's never not known anybody other than frat boys <laughs> it's called frat boy oh wow which is like i was like that's a perfect movie yeah how did that not get made yeah i want to see frat boy sure i'm sure it you hear those ideas they probably got all the way up to Dress rehearsal and then it, it funding <laughs> fell out or whatever. I know. But I'm actually trying to compliment senior year because those ideas that are simple, you know, like that, yeah. but have that, there's a there's an engine to it. I'm like, I get it. Rebel Wilson has to go through her senior year yeah. after 20 years in the coma. Yeah. I yeah. got it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it took a while to get it made. I think it took a while. And then it was, I think the rewrites um, of Brandon, uh, Brandon... I can't remember Brandon's last name. He's an actor and a very uh, talented writer. Um, he and he's in the movie. Uh, sorry, Brandon, I can't remember your last name. Brandon Jones, Frazier. No, and I think it's Brendan. <laughs> it's but, yeah. not Brendan Frazier. Um, <laughs> but Brandon's hilarious. I mean, uh, he, and, I and, and I think it was his his take on the script that really got it made. Okay. Yeah. Well, Br Brandon. Question mark. Question mark. Question he's mark. He's in Ghosts. He's in this he's the CBS series Ghosts. He plays. Um, the the old timey English early early American. Character. Katie's on it. She's yeah. gonna find it. Yeah. Don't you worry. Yeah. Um. What was I just gonna? Uh, Chris, what was I just gonna say? Uh. Well, <laughs> you were gonna say Brandon Scott Jones. Brandon right? Scott Jones. There you go. That's well, it. I love that. Senior year. We're yeah. On on the Netflix dot com. Netflix dot com. You have to do the dot com. May thirteenth. Uh. Well, I don't think you do, okay. but you can. Have you ever almost died? Uh. I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. No. Even as a kid? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I was I was floundering in a pool once, but my dad got me, you know. Um, That's close. And that must have been a bonding moment. Well, it was more of a frustration because he let me flounder for a bit. Because <laughs> I think in his mind that was... Uh, that was, was the, Mr. B style. Well, like, yeah, tough was, love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It was exactly. I was like, no, Dad, I, I can't actually swim out here. Um, so he he got me. So I was never like really. I was never gulping water. Anything, I understand. So, yeah, but you remember it. <laughs> I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I rem I remember being on a rock water slide, and I was really like old enough to realize this rock water slide is very dangerous. It wasn't a real water slide. It was just just like wet a creek rocks. or something. It was going down a fast creek basically yeah. towards a ledge oh, sure. and i was like i don't think i can stop myself oh. and i was like dad dad and he was you know holding a heineken light or something, <laughs> and, and he was chatting to this other guy and i remember just being like he doesn't seem to be registering how serious this is yeah. and then at the last moment he of course he bent down and scooped me up it was oh, fine wow. but i was like mad at him yeah for not communicating like i hear you <laughs> I see you. I'm going to get you. But as a parent, you might appreciate this. 
Leela was listening to the Hot Potato song. The Wiggles? Uh, yeah, maybe it was the Wiggles. Hot Potato, Hot Potato. It's about like if you have the Hot Potato, you're out. Um, I don't... Well, that may be a different song. This might have been... It. Yeah. What Leela... I don't think Leela understands what where music comes from because she'll... Let's say she's playing with a telephone and a comb. She'll be like, play the telephone comb song. Oh, and okay. like what we'll do is we just tell uh, Alexa or Siri, play the telephone phone, uh, comb song. And, and often there is one. It's, yeah. it's really weird, <laughs> which is going to give us this, her this really unrealistic idea of what music is like. <laughs> if you're doing something, they'll make a song about it. She right. thinks it's probably being made for her <laughs> in the moment, which is really cute. But um, she put on the hot potato song for some reason. And it was like, if you're holding the hot potato on the song, it's on you are out. Now go sit down, hot potato, hot potato, hot potato, like it's like that. <laughs> yeah. But there's like a two second pause when you're out. Yeah. And I was listening to it. I was like, if you were gonna do this song, it's an old song. If you were gonna do this song today for our kids' age, it yeah. would be like, you are out. Oh, I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> Big feelings. <laughs> it's fr- you're frustrated and you're met. Like there'd be like yeah. a thirty minute coping period, <laughs> sure. and then the song would be like, "Okay, <laughs> let's continue playing while holding Jeremy in our hearts." You know, like we're. It's just not. It's not as uh, harsh no. <laughs> nearly as it no. used to be. It's a bit more with, padded with dads keeping their kids in pools and scooping us up at the last moment. Yeah, I yeah. understand. It is. What about, have you ever seen a ghost? You seem like a guy that would see no, a ghost every no. once in a while. I've never seen a ghost. I don't, be, I don't believe in ghosts. No ghosts. No ghosts for me. So people that see ghosts, just they were... There's things in their they're mind, liars. I believe. <laughs> no, I like I, I make it incendiary. Yeah, I'm, you know, they're a liar? You're calling them liars? <laughs> that's, that's the right approach. I mean, look, there's, there's certainly you know things out there we don't understand, uh, but spirits of people staying on i don't know i I just i don't that doesn't make sense to me so it's probably that belief serves you if you're staying in i'm always in like austin and they're always like you know this room is haunted you'd just be like yeah Yeah. no and just go to bed yeah i think so see there's an upside to your belief system yeah old Petey stays up when i open (laughs) sort of thing the whole night waiting for a child i'm not saying it wouldn't affect me i'm not saying there's not a part of me that would be superstitious and would be like i i mean i think i might have some response to that but i think deep down i don't believe it enough to yeah like really i know what you mean yeah i i i understand i've hosting the show i've heard some really really great ghost stories have you seen a ghost i've never seen a ghost except the ghost of my cat uh i know that sounds ridiculous but when i go visit my mom and my dad is also there um i'll sleep in my old bed this is a long time ago i don't do that anymore pro tip hotels <laughs> hotels are good for everybody airbnb just really yeah, ha- yeah just yeah. don't don't stay there yeah <laughs> i still do when it's just me i do if it's just me i'll do yeah. it for one night right. or maybe two nights but not not any more than that i i don't even if it's just me it's a little too much but if it's me and val and or me val and leela i'm like we're gonna say elsewhere yeah but when when i would sleep in that bed it would be not just once it would be every time i sleep there in the morning, the ghost of my cat, Clem, exactly his weight, exactly how oh. he moved. Oh, He'd wow. jump up on the bed and curl up and, and sleep. And I'd be awake. And I'd, I'd just be like, don't move. Don't scare the ghost cat. Wow. So it was like a regular occurrence. And Clem did die somewhat uh, traumatically in that bed. That or right? not in that bed, but in that house. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so no ghosts. We're back. No ghosts. You peed and I chewed minty gum, but I still feel kind of blocked up. It's okay. Oh, sorry. 
no good. Anything you can't explain that's happened in your life? A good example would be like a psychic said, Chris, in two days you're going to be surrounded by beautiful ladies. And you're like, finally. Uh, something like that. You know, what comes to mind is, is something when I was a kid. I was in my bedroom at, at our first house. And I, I have a memory of like these lights going by outside my bedroom window. Um, and I feel like there was a sound associated with it. And I, I went outside to see what it was, and I, I never knew. And, and I, I don't know if it was a, a car driving down the street, but it looked like it was right outside my window, like a toy of some kind oh, wow. going by my window with sounds. And I, I, I have no idea what it was. Like a drone kind of thing, like a little UFO. Uh, yeah, but, but, yeah, but more like a, a fire engine kind of lights or something, you know. But, oh, interesting. But, yeah, I don't know. What do you, do you, I think it's so interesting that UFOs have broken into, <laughs> like they're real. Uh, yeah. And we're all just like, what are you having for lunch? Right. <laughs> like, I don't care I, at all. I know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing. It's just like, because part of me is still like, are they real? I mean, but it seems like we've got this evidence now. Yeah. Um, it seems like they are. Yeah. For real, for real. Yeah. Which is crazy. I think though, if, if the CIA or whatever released evidence that there are ghosts, like there are other dimensions right. with alternate realities sure. overlaying on ours. That would be a bigger revelation than like spacecraft that seems to defy the laws of physics as we know it. Maybe, yeah. Right? Yeah. Because it would be like... It's right here. It's immediate. It's, it's here. And, it's, and it, I think people like ghosts because it speaks to some sort of afterlife or, or like a, a soul. Oh, sure. I guess, right? Yeah. Do you where are you at with all that stuff now? I, I'm I'm interested. You were raised Baptist, yeah. I always thought the Baptists don't drink. That's not a thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, Some in, in general, they don't. No, I, yeah. I don't oh, mean, okay, but I think you know probably many of them do. Right, you know? right, <laughs> right. Yeah. But it's not like a, it's not part of their culture. Like no, like Catholics drink wine. Right. It's like right. part of it. it. It's actually, I've said this before, but wine is the beverage of christianity coffee is the beverage of islam like oh, different i i um, tea is obviously buddhism like there are different oh, like yeah. drinks right for different uh religions which is very interesting <laughs> it is um but where are you at now I, I i don't know if you know we always talk about that do you have any framework for the universe uh <sighs> um i well i'm an atheist um and her atheist <laughs> like you're happy about it, <laughs> like a atheist, well, you know, or a atheist. It, it took a long, <laughs> long time to. It took me a long time to get there, but um, once I sort of came to the realization for myself that that Jesus was not the Son of God, but just a great teacher who had this amazing message of love and forgiveness. That if we just held on to that, that was that was the main thing. But he didn't rise from the dead. He wasn't born of a virgin, and so that's you know, of course the cornerstone of christianity right um you take that away and i don't know just everything made sense then for me it's like oh yeah okay this is how all these religions of the world go you know they all have their kind of different version of god and these different rules and laws and things some of which overlap but how can they all be right and why would i think mine was right and because you were born into it right? exactly yeah so, those are good questions yeah and then how did you get to that you, you sort of alluded that it was a long process well i started questioning i guess uh, really in high school, but you know, was I would, there an event that spurred that. Well, it was about, it wasn't even, no, it wasn't even just in high school. It was, it was the idea of hell 
that I found very hard to, to wrap my mind around. Yeah. Um, the idea of, you know, this is Old Testament hell, a place of eternal torment where the worm dies not. You know, your body never dies. It just suffers unspeakable torment for eternity. And so I remember lying in bed and trying to envision that. Um, I was saved. Um, but I, I, I got saved again. Um, I, first time I did it was in kindergarten. I went forward in, 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 a, in a chapel service, and then I did it again in the bathtub by myself because I was so scared that maybe I hadn't done it right when yeah. I was in kindergarten. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I just it was just so there, there there was no end to it. You know, you can't conceive of eternity. And so that stuck with me. And then the idea of proselytizing, we're supposed to go out and share the word of God with other people and try to get them to convert to Christianity. Because if you believe that somebody who doesn't accept Christ as their Lord and Savior is going to suffer eternity in a lake of fire, um, you, you got to try to help them, right? You know, and uh, Which doesn't make it not awkward. <laughs> no, no, exactly. And it never, it never sat well with me. I was, yeah. never, I was never good at it, you know? Yeah. Um, when I saw the movie Liar, Liar, remember, he can't lie. Right. Obviously, I know you know that. But like, when I watched that, I was, uh, you know, a Christian, and I was like, I wish I had that so you could ask me, do you really believe that uh, everyone goes to hell? So I could so I could find out if I really believed it. Oh, That's what I took from that movie. And I, I think that was the beginning of an inkling of like, I remember, I've said this before, but Kurt Cobain obviously famously died when I was in high school. And I was like, you think Kurt Cobain's soul right now is being tortured? And uh, like, that's just a lot sure. to try to consider. And then obviously, you know, in that George Carlin sort of way, weigh that against the idea that God is love. And, and you're like, mm -hmm. I don't, why would you rig the system right. in a way that you're, there's a way, like, wouldn't it be more compassionate to not have that be an option? And, sure. then, and then people in my church will always be like, it was because God loves justice and God, and God values your free will, your ability to deny him. And I'm like, well, great, but like, you can keep that. Like, right. I'd rather you disrespect my free will and not torture me forever. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like, like, yeah, it's like, like this God of love has created uh, a, a structure, uh, you know, where if you don't accept his son as your Lord and Savior, you will suffer for eternity. And that's worse, obviously, than anything any human can do to another human. Right. It's so. peanuts. I mean, there's a, there's a great book. I always plug it whenever I can called Love Wins. And it's like the things that you do in a finite period of time, let's say you live... 80 years. Right. And most of humanity lived like 40, 50 years. You know, like we're right. now we're 80, 90, 100. But like, so what you do in 50, 60 years, and we can even trim 10 off, because for the first 10, I believe most churches have that doctrine of like, you're not right. accountable until a certain age. So stuff that you do in 40 years uh -huh. is judged with an eternity. It's like yeah. the most unbalanced system. Yeah. That I've ever it's insane <laughs> that I've ever seen in, yeah. in and when I even when I look at the way energy moves in our universe, nothing is just like endlessly tortured. Everything is and I'm using religious language, but yeah. I'm just talking about our reality. Right. Everything is redeemed, meaning you're made of an exploding star. That's right. a type of redemption. Huh, what was what was dead is reborn. Right. And you and I will die. And that, those atoms will be reborn. Our matter, our carbon will be reborn. The whole planet could explode, and that planet will not go to waste. So I see 
a forgiving and gracious universe. I'm not saying terrible things don't happen. Yeah. And I'm not trying to anthropomorphize that and say there's a God somewhere that's pulling levers with kindness or anger in his heart. I'm saying what the system we're in, as confusing as it can be, doesn't do what we're talking about. I see right. rain that falls on thorns mm-hmm. and roses. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's it and and Jesus even says that. He says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And rain is a good thing when you're living in the desert yeah. of Jerusalem. So he's saying blessings go on everything. How we turn that into believe this or or burn yeah. is very confusing. And there's actually not a lot in the Bible, I, I really feel like a lot of that has to do with Greek mythology, Hades, uh, Dante. We didn't yeah. have this understanding of hell right. until Dante came along. You won't find a ton of it in in the Bible itself, but we like it. There's something that we like. We don't want a football game where both teams win. We want the winners to win, and we want winners only exist because there are losers. So it's a real ego trip to be like we're in and they're out. But when you have the compassionate heartbreak that you did, which is like, wait, you're in your bathtub, afraid yeah. of love. <laughs> uh, it's This is what always happens when I talk to atheists. It's almost always out of this really compassionate place of like, I just can't accept that that would be what's going on here. Yeah, it, it, just, it just never made sense. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I continue to sort of question internally not so much externally but to myself uh, as i went through high school and then went to church in high school some but i think less and less and then i didn't go to church in college at all yeah and uh, and it wasn't until i got to la that it sort of all gelled for me did you meet other people that were having similar journeys and you know i i don't know that i did there was there was a man who was taught composition at school of the arts um who was a believer and he would sometimes ask me how's your faith um because he knew i was he would you know i would pray before my meals in the cafeteria and uh and we would talk about it some and he was you know uh, a, a lovely lovely guy and uh and then I remember, I don't, I don't know if it was him or somebody else recommending C.S. Lewis, um, Surprised by Joy, um, which talks about his journey with Christianity. Um, but I think by the time I read that, I was, I was, pretty, I was pretty doubtful. Yeah. Um, what flavor is that book? Is it very like, well, stay it, in the church, be a Christian, or is it more... It's been a while since I've read it, but the, the gist, as I remember it, is here's why you should believe. I mean, I for see. all of these reasons that... That you know now makes sense to me. I see. You know, yeah. It was like a, a persuasion. So this guy yeah. is like, read it because it, it'll help you stay on the path. Exactly. It wasn't read it because there's other types of believers, or there are people that don't necessarily. I'm, I'm thinking of um, Julia Sweeney, who did this podcast, who's obviously famously an atheist, but she goes to church. Yeah, it's really interesting oh, really? to me. She, I, I believe, she goes to a Unitarian church, uh-huh. but still is an atheist, right. but likes the community and sure. likes. I think she enjoys thinking about big questions of the universe and as i said looking how how energy moves in the universe to me it's interesting we need these metaphors you know when it comes to the virgin birth and the physical death and resurrection of christ i'm sort of i don't know like i can't say either way if it literally happened but i do know that there's certain things that that evokes uh like feelings that that evokes as a story right. you could say in the same way that other myths might not be true, but they evoke sure. a feeling. Sure. Um, I actually, my feeling with the resurrection is I, I think we're all 
resurrected in the same way that meaning your energy is dispersed and goes back into its source and that if i said that to my 15 year old self i would have been like well enjoy the lake of fire motherfucker (laughs) (laughs) like i would have said it under my breath but um anyway do you feel you so don't let me put words in your mouth but i'm totally with you no old man in the sky pulling the levers but we're still in this like right like this appears to be happening reality you mean you and me i just mean this here right now yeah life is happening yeah do you without a god do you feel like there is like a an essential irreducible nature to the universe like could you strip this down to its smallest component and that component would just be being is there any any sort of flowing energy feelings in you or is it just a cosmic mistake uh a cosmic accident probably but i don't even know if it's an accident i think if you i think there is somehow a tendency for for life to come about and uh you know just with you know as things go from this state to this state to this state somehow they progress it seems like and you you get these molecules that can then become a form of life and you know on and on from there uh, but I mean, in terms of the universe, I mean, I just, I see, uh, I guess I would, I would think of like whatever the ultimate smallest particle is or wave is, you know, which I, I don't even think we know what it is, but, uh, yeah. that's, that's how I would see it. It's like a God idea, like a, or not a God idea, how you would see what? How, how I would see the universe. I mean, I don't, I don't see any, I don't really see any spiritual aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think it's there and it's what it is and uh it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's extraordinary and there's there's much to take from that and i and i'm not saying spirituality is wrong or, or that no, should no exist please in you're life. in a safe space nobody's gonna be like parnell shits <laughs> on spirit uh you're in a very safe space so don't worry about that um and then like i think about this too with the big bang so that was i mean nobody knows right I, I'm always trying to make this point that if you thought it, think it was God or it was nothing, it was a very similar idea. Right. Because God is no thing. It's not a thing. It's it's a it's something we can't understand. That's right. that's one a very liberal definition of God. Right. Not a man in the sky, but something we don't understand. Yeah. And nothing is something we don't understand because there is no nothing. Yeah. We don't have nothing. Like you can't show me nothing. Right. We have evidence of the existence of nothing, like a zero in the equation of the universe, but we don't have it. Right. Um, so either way, we either have nothing erupting or God erupting. It's very similar. Something we don't know is doing something we know not what. Like sure, right? Sure. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. Well, this is yeah. Well, Isaac Isaac Asimov ha- has a great short story called "The Last Question," and uh, the question keeps getting asked. Uh, I'm going to miss mess it up. Um, what happens at the end of the universe or what is the end of entropy? Um, and it keeps getting asked over and over. And as it, it's, it's being asked by like kids, um, computers progress until, and spaceships progress until, you know, they're like asking their computer at home and then not enough data yeah, is yeah. the response. And then they ask their much more complex computer on the, on their spaceship or whatever, not enough data. Um, and it keeps going on and on until computers are no longer something that we hold in our hands. They like sort of exist in, you know, uh, at a, at a molecular level out in the universe yes, or yes. whatever. And finally, um, somebody or something or some part of the 
the computer, quote unquote, asked the question. And um, at that point, entropy of the universe has happened. Everything, all the light, everything's gone. And, and then the answer is, let there be light. It's like, then the, then the universe is reborn. Because the, this, oh, this the computer like this. of the universe has finally gathered enough data to figure out the answer and to produce the answer. Okay, I love that. I knew you were a sci-fi guy, and I love that answer. <laughs> I, I'm, I, you know, I haven't done it justice, obviously. But are you kidding? I love that. I, I ask these questions every episode, and I'm, I got the chills when you were talking. I think that's so cool. But the idea, Ray Kurzweil, the the futurist mm-hmm. who coined the term the singularity, he has that quote. He goes, "Does God exist?" I would say, "Not yet." Mm. So that's that really interesting idea. But what you're doing is kind of making it a looper thing, where it's yeah. like this. But this is a, just another thought experiment, another myth, another thing that might not be literally exactly what happens, but it's such a fun way to think that like maybe God as we, the create, the thing that created the universe is actually what we make by the, and we'll have enough time by the time the big crunch, I believe right. it's called. So there's the big crunch and the universe ends, but this thing has been uploaded into the molecules of it and it reboots itself. Right. But we made it. Right. But it's like, which happened first? It's yeah, really fun. It is. It's an amazing story. But uh, yeah, I love it because when I, I see that as in the story of Adam and Eve is, is like, you can look at it that they ate the apple, that they were bad. Or it was us opting into the system of duality, yeah. the tree of good and evil. Like yeah. we had a hand in it. It was the tree of the knowledge. The tree of the knowledge. Right, yeah. exactly. So they were, in a, they were in a non-dual place where there was no good and there was no right. evil. And then we came into this place. We chose to be here. I find that sort of comforting. But I also think who are we, even from a, a materialist standpoint, we are this. You know what I mean? We're made of this. Right. Like we belong here. Yeah. And, and there's something dignified about that. Absolutely. I really like that. So dead over. We think death is the end. Sadly. Yeah. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. Um, yeah. You know, I hope there's an afterlife and, and, and you know, we are, are a reincarnation or something, but I just don't have any reason to believe there is. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. I mean, I, I had that bit about it. I just want to see what you say is, is the reason I don't find an afterlife preposterous, although to quote, quote Rupert Spira, I think everything is consciousness, which is water. If you think of consciousness being water, like awareness itself being water. I'm like a, a whirlpool. Pete is a whirlpool yeah. underwater. Sucking so everything it, down. It, sucking everything down and <laughs> ruining everything, killing people. No, no, but like if you see like a little uh, tornado underwater. Yeah, yeah. It's made of water, so it's just consciousness. But it has the appearance of Pete. That's what I am. I'm a movement. Huh. I'm activity in, in the one mind of consciousness. And then when I die that whirlpool dissipates into the water. So it hasn't gone anywhere. Right. And then he, he made this point that like, there's nothing to say that like another whirlpool couldn't form in that same area of the same water uh-huh. and have another life. Like that could be reincarnation. But either way, it's all just one thing thinging itself and like nothing's going anywhere. Right. But I'm sort of, to, so when I say an afterlife, I don't mean white robes although I'm open to anything, white robes and walking around and being like, hey, Chris, remember when we talked about <laughs> oh this? Oh, my God. I <laughs> this is nuts. Here we like, are. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I think it's much more likely that there's not necessarily a memory of this life, but it just keeps, it keeps doing itself. And the evidence for that potential is this, meaning, and this is just a joke, but I'd love to see what it makes you think. 
when we say an afterlife is preposterous, I agree, but so is life. Like it's crazy that this exists. So this this is evidence that things that don't make any sense and that are miraculous that we can't really understand, meaning consciousness, happen. Right. So that the hypothesis that that lends itself to the idea that there might be more things that we don't understand. Sure. I guess, I guess my take on that is we. <sighs> Maybe we don't understand the the very fine details of it, but I feel like we science does have an idea of how consciousness happens and and how that comes into existence. You know, um, you mean evolutionarily? Evolutionarily, I think they can tell us when it showed up. Well, but also just even you know in the physic in the development of a you know how the eggs and the sperm come together, and 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 eventually that that little being has human brain waves, and then it you know becomes human thought. Right. Yeah. But the thing that hears the thought, <laughs> like the awareness that is the background of all thoughts and all experience, I think does remain a mystery. Meaning, if someone had the, uh, like a theory on human consciousness, like broke it and could reproduce it, that would be, that would be page one news right there. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, I, you know, yeah, I don't know. I, uh, I'm, I'm not sure that we won't get to the point where, you know, we do computers have a sort of consciousness, you yeah, know, the AI yeah, yeah. thing. I think it's a, it's a long time off and maybe it never will, you know, but well, according to Kurtzwell, it's 2054, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So take our vitamins. We'll get to see a robot <laughs> crush our own skulls. I know. It's very, I know. Isn't it funny that that's like, as a sci-fi person, that is like the that's been the most foregone conclusion of all time is that like we will make robots, we will give them consciousness, we will program in fail safes, they will overwrite those fail safes, they will enslave us. Like we've known that in the same way that you see it in nature. It's like the survival of the fittest or the predator that is the strongest dominates everything. And we're currently like I was watching the WeWork documentary after we finished We Crash, we watched the documentary. And the guy, the the main fund, Mas, Masasan or something like that. I don't remember. He's he's uh, SoftBank. He's the CEO of SoftBank. Yeah, so yeah. he's the most money in the world. He's the one of the biggest proponents for uh, funding the singularity. And I'm like, this is Terminator Two. You're you're Miles Bennett Dyson. You're right. the guy that's like, we need to give a trillion dollars to the people that are going to make the thing. Yeah. That every creative mind through all of history has been like. That's how it works. If you make a lion, the lion will eat us. And we're like, we got to fund this lion initiative that we got to. I know, I know. It, I mean, there's clearly there are a lot of people out there asking these questions um, in in the world of AI, and um, and and rightly so. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, it's like we want we want to have more complex computers to do more things for us and robots that can take care of the certain mundane tasks. Um, right. But yeah, it's it's uh, where where does that stop? You know. <laughs> Well, hopefully we'll get to see that and then we'll be in like regular Looney Tunes heaven eating ambrosia being like, I can't believe the real God was Mormon Jesus. It was Mormon Jesus. And the streets are gold. <laughs> well, thanks, man. This has been really great. Is there anything we didn't cover that you were hoping we would cover? Um, I guess not. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, we didn't really talk much about when you were an English teacher. Was there any highlight from that? Well, I was, a, I was the I was drama. A drama. I was. I taught intro oh, to okay. action and an introduction to film and video. That's right. And did you like it, or were you like, I gotta get the fuck out of here? 
Mostly the latter. Yeah. I, I, I liked working with all the kids who stuck around after school to be involved with the theater department and the television department. Those are like really dedicated kids who had tasks and jobs and responsibilities. Yeah. The classroom stuff, uh, for the most part, I, I did not enjoy. I was very young and I wasn't ready to be Mr. Parnell or an authority figure and I wasn't good at maintaining discipline in the classroom and yeah. uh, i just felt kind of inadequate you know oh i so. i can completely relate yeah i can't imagine being like you're staying after class johns <laughs> well, jasper johns was in your family <laughs> yeah but yeah that's uh, that makes perfect sense well i'm glad you got out and i'm glad you're getting offered movies and you can't even remember if they were offered to you which is such a great sign of success <laughs> you did it you made it amazing the last question we always ask is um can you think of a time in your life, we've, we opened by talking about how good at you are at not laughing, mm -hmm. but when have you laughed so hard you were crying, falling over on the floor? Maybe you were a kid, maybe it was at SNL, maybe it was some other project, but when, when you think about laughing really, 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 really hard, where, where are you, how old are you, what happened? It, I was, um, I think I was a young adult, um, and it was Spinal Tap. It was watching oh, yeah. Spinal Tap, and uh, when the Stonehenge set comes down, and oh, how they dance, the people of Stonehenge, or something, just that all coming together, <laughs> I, I mean, it just destroyed me. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't even know if it was the first time I saw it, but I just, <laughs> I remember that being a moment where I was just laughing That's so, so hard. That's funny, because, so Beck Bennett, you, it's almost like Hank Azaria is sort of a U-type. Yeah, wouldn't you say? I don't know. Is he? Isn't Hank Azaria the bass player in Final Tap? Uh, oh no, no, no. Uh, Harry. Um, Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer. Yeah, I fucked up. Yeah. Harry Shearer seems like a a U type than a Beck type. I'm just saying this is this is a mean. type in comedy. <laughs> we don't want like a wacky, floppy, sweaty guy like me being Harry Shearer in that movie. You want like, right. Chris Parnell. You want like a serious guy. Yeah, or for a that guy part. that can play like I don't know. You're, you're, you'll always be in demand because oh. I feel like out of comedians, there's so many more loud. <laughs> I was the loud guy in my improv team. There's so few use. So I'm not surprised that you keep getting plucked up and will continue to be. Well, that's very kind, Pete. But you can do, you can do all of it, you know? Well, I, well you don't have to. You can. Them, get you can. Get the shit out of here. Mm -hmm. No, you know, it's funny. There are certain things that like, I really think, you gotta go crispy, <laughs> which is funny because we end the show. I've, I've all ever since I've wanted to have you on the show. People have actually told me that we have to do this, so we end the show by saying "keep it crispy." That the guest says it. Huh. Okay. And we, for ten years now, we're yeah. like, if Chris Parnell ever does it, we're gonna ask him to say "keep it crispy." Okay. Like your name. All right. And if you would bless us with a "keep it crispy," <laughs> that'll be the first. And only time we've accepted a derivative of Keep It Crispy. All right, let's but bow our heads. thank you for doing it. Let's oh, bow thanks, our heads. <laughs> thanks for having me, Pete. Heavenly Father. Uh, here we go. Keep it crispy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting 10 years. Thank you so much, Chris. What a lovely chat. Thank you. 